There is division everywhere, especially in the ranks, today on The Grid. The Grid, a digital frontier of freedom. It's our platform where we talk about faith, politics, and commerce, where we analyze current events from biblical and common sense perspectives. I'm so glad you knocked. The door is open and we have answered. Come on in and welcome to The Grid. Welcome, believers, family, patriots, friends alike. Welcome to The Grid. I'm Chris Coleman, the founder of the Kingdom Patriot Group and today's host. Before we jump into today's topic, let's do a quick check of the newswire. Well, obviously, we have some weeks where the news is light and some weeks where the news is abundant. And this is one of those weeks. So we're not going to be able to get to everything, but we're going to try to hit on the most important stories. And or or maybe I should say not always the most important, but ones that are um, interesting to me. So I noticed that Sheila Jackson Lee, representative from Houston, Texas, yeah, the one who once talked about Neil Armstrong planting the flag on Mars, that's the one. Uh, she just lost a pretty contentious mayoral race in Houston to another Democrat. And I mean, Houston's a Democrat stronghold. So, I mean, the story is really not about that. It's just I'm thinking if Lee was elected, if Sheila Jackson Lee was elected as mayor of Houston, they likely would have gotten one of the dumbest politicians who's ever been in a position to govern that I can think of. So I guess I could say to Houston, hey, you got lucky. Good good for you. So speaking of dumb folks in, pol in politics, Karine Jean-Pierre, the White House press secretary that Ben Shapiro often refers to as the worst White House press secretary ever, um, she is in hot water once again. Two, two reasons. Number one, there was some questioning from reporters who were really pushing her because she typically just doesn't answer questions. And she got mad. She just got up and walked out of the press briefing. Look. You got to have thick skin to, for that job. I, I get that. Um, don't take it if you're not ready for it. You're there to answer questions. Secondly, she talked about uh, Bidenomics and how it's helped Americans. And apparently Twitter, now now X, has been just lighting up with fact-checking many of her things about uh, jobs gained and whether they're created jobs and all of this. this and, and people are just blasting her because basically she's just spouting complete nonsense. Uh, typical liberal. Um, it's not that she's an evil person. It's just that she knows so much about what isn't true. Um, that being said, I would hate that job. It, it feels like that you have to be a professional liar. So um, I'm going to switch here. Generally, I would think that a state like Iowa would be normally somewhat conservative. Yet you f I found out yesterday that the Satanic Temple has set up an altar in the state capital of Des Moines. I mean, this defies understanding. This group erected a public display, and according to the description and the picture I saw, it's a it's a ram's head with mirrors covering it. It's propped up by a mannequin and red clothing. Reminds me of something out of the Chronicles of Narnia. And, you know, folks, this is where I draw the line on free speech. If you're openly wor worshiping Satan, you can take that crap and you can go home. Uh, that, that That's not for here. God will not be mocked, my friends. We If we keep doing stupid stuff like this, the Lord is going to judge our nation right here and right now. It's it, it it's enough. Time's up on this kind of garbage. Um, speaking of garbage, every time I think it can't get worse for Biden, he surprises me ever more. Kind of reminds me of a quote. 
um, uh, that I read years ago about words used on actual government employee evaluations. And this one reminds me of Biden. And it said this, this employee has hit rock bottom and he started to dig. That really reminds me of what I see with Biden's approval ratings. Well, in a recent poll, um, only 23% of respondents actually said that they were helped by Biden's policy, while a whopping 53%, they said they were actually hurt. Um, that is devastating if you're trying to get reelected. And not only that, the poll also showed that in a general election where it's only Biden and Trump, Trump has a 47% to 43% lead, which is pretty large considering where they were a year ago. But even more so, if there's independence in the race, let's say like a Joe Manchin, um, that lead goes from th uh, 40, 47 to, to 43, from 37 to 31. So it actually increases that gap. That's why the Democrats fear so much uh, Biden running and having any kind of third party candidate. They know that they're in big trouble. My only thought is that Creepy Joe may have hit rock bottom a little too early. There's still time for another uh, completely made up crisis in our country. And that would take the election focus off of him because they're not going to bring him out for debates. He's not going to be put in public. I mean, he's just not. I'm still waiting for either Gavin Newsom to step in or for there to be contention at the Democrat National Convention. Michelle Obama swoops in, but we'll see. But while we're on the, the topic of the Bidens, how about Hunter Biden? He's now been indicted on nine counts of various crimes, the most serious of which is not paying over a million dollars in taxes to the IRS while living a lavish lifestyle. Now, in reading the story, the most egregious part in my mind is that the DOJ purposely drug their feet to where now the most serious crimes, the ones about foreign corruption, you can't charge anymore because they've they've expired due to the statute of limitations. That to me is more egregious than Hunter Biden. Look, Hunter Biden is a garbage human being. We we know that. There's no surprise here. But what the government has done to protect him is is beyond sensical. And speaking of sensical, I could spend an hour talking about Harvard University, University of Pennsylvania, and the host of their these elitist schools that are in really hot water for allowing students to spew hate towards the Jewish people, towards Israel. And by default, well, I say by default supporting Hamas, in some cases, actually openly, overtly supporting Hamas while yelling death to Israel. I mean, it's crazy, the, these kids. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. Because in the Israeli war with Hamas, um, where Israel is defending itself, Anthony Blinken recently this past week lectured and chastised Israeli's war cabinet about the, the amount of time that Israel is engaging on this ground war to eradicate Hamas. And the war cabinet, basically, from what I read, gave Blinken uh, pretty much the digital middle finger. And I'm like, you know, good to them. Who is Anthony Blinken to go over there and tell them how to defend themselves? And I, I think Netanyahu's got it right. This war will be over when Hamas is done. When we've ended Hamas, it'll be over. That's exactly what they should do. But even worse, a lot of people don't know about Anthony Blinken. Um in this, in this role of Secretary of State. But the late John McCain um, apparently stood up and opposed his confirmation in a Senate hearing back when Obama was president. And he basically said, this guy's an Ivy, Ivy League ideologue. He knows nothing about the real world, and his policies are very dangerous. And John McCain didn't say a lot about a lot of people, but in this particular case, he stood up and was just adamant, vehemently opposed this guy's confirmation. And uh, here we are, 
you know, all these years later, and it, it really turns out to be true. These politicians, these elitists, these Ivy League grads with no real world experience, they they think that the world responds to platitudes and nice words and smiles and intentions, and you friend them on Facebook. And you know what? Netanyahu, Israel, is the Israel War Cabinet, uh, the IDF, they've got it right. Hamas responds to one thing, that terrorists respond to one thing, and that is strength. Strength in the form of bombs, guns, and military might. They do not respond to nice words. So speaking of words, um, we'll close with this on our news and review. One of the squad members was heard saying in a speech that we have to quit labeling people with these words that are hurtful, and we need to get away from using all these descriptive words. And I'm like, is that not hypocrisy at its finest? Call someone by anything other than their preferred pronoun, and they want you in jail because words are that serious. However, if you call Matera a supporter, they, yeah, you know, no, 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 we can't do that. We've got to have kind words and sweet thoughts and nothing but the sweet taste of hypocrisy. I say that it's about time that you're hand, uh, held accountable for your double speak, for your words, and more importantly, your deeds. Folks, for this week's news and review, that's a wrap. Midwest Glass and Mirror is a full-service glass and mirror company. Located in Stevensville, Michigan, this company serves both residential and commercial customers in Southwest Michigan and Indiana. In business for over 30 years, they are the glass and mirror industry leader and are trusted by homeowners, property managers, and commercial clients. Their mission is to exceed your expectations by delivering top-notch professionalism, integrity, and craftsmanship. I know one of the partners personally, and I can assure you he is a man of faith, a patriot, and loves God and country. He's a great example of American small business success due to hard work and an expert craft. Call 269-428-4464 or visit MidwestGlass.com today and ask how they can help you. Again, that's MidwestGlass.com or call 269-428-4464. Be sure to mention that you're a Kingdom Patriot. Okay, so division in the ranks. That's what we're talking about today. So on December the 1st, the House voted to expel George Santos. That's nothing new. We've talked about that on a previous podcast. It's the right thing to do. Period. Declarative statement. Not, nothing more to say. Right, right thing. Now, you might not say the process was necessarily correct because it creates other complications, especially when you're talking about the Republican majority in the House. But as far as an individual and removing him, it certainly was the right thing. This guy's as shady as they come. Um, in, in fact, you may not realize this. It does take a two-thirds majority of the House to actually expel a member. I mean, this is a big deal. And the last time that a House lawmaker was actually expelled uh, was you had to go back more than two decades. And that was when um, I'm seeing here Representative Jim Traficant if I'm saying his name right, a Democrat from Ohio, was voted out of Congress in 2002. So it's been 21 years. Prior to that, uh, Traficon had been convicted of 10 felony counts, including racketeering and taking bribes. Okay. And so we've also talked about the same thing with Bob Menendez because he's under the, the, the same issue. He didn't get expelled, but he certainly uh, is, is facing many counts, several dozen, I believe, for bribery, racketeering, you know, th those kinds of things. Now, in Santos' case, he's not been convicted of a crime yet, but he has been indicted on 23 counts related to wire fraud, identity theft, falsification of records, credit card fraud, and a whole host of other charges. 
He basically was using campaign funds to live a life of luxury, to buy luxury goods, even to do things such as Botox, which if you've seen George Santos, you'd be like, yeah, that didn't really help. Um, of course, he's pled guilty to all these, but in the vote, 311 for his expulsion, 114 um, against. It was definitely a bipartisan vote, even though more Republicans voted to keep him than necessarily to oust him. But my guess is that has less to do with about the validity of the claims and more about just the process and the fact that it really puts the Republicans at a majority, uh, a challenge for the majority. That being said, the majority of people voted against George to kick him out. So that got me to thinking, though, because that's that's division within the ranks, right? That's division within the Republican Party. And so I started thinking about the more recent period of history in the House where uh, Matt Getz initiated the ouster of Kevin McCarthy. And I love where we ended up, but I couldn't support the process. I didn't like how we did it. I didn't like how Gates did it. Just didn't like the process at all. So I think giving, a, you know, just ignoring the process, it, it goes against everything that I believe as a conservative. The liberals believe that the ends justify all means. And I really felt like Matt Getz took that, took that approach a little bit, where a conservative believes the process matters. To our founding fathers, the process matters. And I think they were right. I think they had it right. But then that thought just continued for me because really we're talking about division and we saw this division within the GOP, within the Republican ranks. And I thought, well, what does that mean even outside of politics? I mean, we have other examples as we'll share within politics, but what about pro-lifers versus pro-abortionists? What about Black Lives Matter supporters versus all Lives Matter supporters? Christians and non-Christians, conservatives and libertarians versus progressives and liberal liberals. Lots of lots of division there. Genity, gender identity versus the gender assigned at birth given to us by God. What about the lawful versus the lawless? Rules and rule followers versus rule breakers. Natural law, especially we see this in, in really the gender ideology world, natural law versus no law at all. Or again, an example of lawlessness, Republicans versus Democrats, bigots and racism, Jews and Gentiles. Now, this last one reminds me that divisions have been around for a very, very long time, even all even going back to before Jesus even came. And as I as I really pondered that, I felt like the Lord put this on my heart. And that's this, division leads to conflict. And if we handle handle that appropriately, it stops there because often division is no more than just disagreement. If we handle it appropriately, if we disagree well, then we're done with it. But most often that's not the case and it continues. So division leads to conflict, conflict leads to chaos and chaos leads to death. Sometimes physical death, but most assuredly spiritual death. And we know that that our Lord is a God of order. We see that, uh, I believe it's in, in Corinthians. He is, not an, he is not a God of chaos. He is a God of order because scripture clearly, clearly communicates that to us. But can we really see that division? Can we see that division in of itself is a tool of the enemy? Let me give you an example. If we even go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, what did Satan try to, and I should say successfully do, well, first the thing, the very first thing he did is he sowed a division. He sowed a seed of doubt by saying, did God really say? The goal was to create division between God and man. 
which again, he did successfully. That division created conflict. And what was that conflict? Well, there's now a spiritual conflict in the heavenlies. And that conflict was you have a God who is holy versus man who is sinful and cannot be in the presence of a holy God. Well, that led to all kinds of chaos in all of creation that God had masterfully created. And it was good and it was beautiful until that moment. It led Adam and Eve to being kicked out of the garden. It was the complete fall of man, spiritual death. So you can see how that division that the enemy sowed led to the conflict, the chaos, and ultimately the spiritual death of all of mankind. We must recognize that this is a tool of the enemy and, and so that we can learn how to disagree without being disagreeable. We can learn how to, to handle division and even sometimes conflict without it resulting in chaos and going down that spiral. The beauty is the, the art, the call, the necessity of this is truth and love. But something that is very difficult. I mean, I just by the way, that's something that I really struggle with is speaking truth in love. Very, very difficult to do. Well, as we share this and we talk about divisions in the ranks and how we deal with this, I'd like to take this moment to wave in Sean to help me with this discussion today. Welcome, kind sir. Well, hey, you, Chris. Thanks for having me on again. It's always fun. It is. Um, I've never actually waved you in before, so I'm not exactly sure uh, how that works. How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing good. We done, we've uh, tried to change up the setup here just a little bit um, so that it looks like we're in the same room, even though we're virtually not. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I guess that's one way to look at it. In a kindred spirit way, we're in the same room. Yeah. Or at least on the same page. How's that? How's that? Yeah, we try. We try. It, it's just terrible when we find out we're on we're in separate chapters. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> same page, wrong book, wrong chapter. Um, yeah. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. So I just wanted to share with the audience. Sean and I had a really important discussion a few minutes ago where he asked me, "What is it? What is, what is the question that we're trying?" to answer and what are the takeaways that we can we can share with the audience which is was really good for i think clarity purposes and Sean, is is you and i wrestled with that we said probably the most important thing we want people to see is this recognition and what was that recognition well i thought it was an astute observation and and some of our audience knows us but the vast majority of the millions of people who will eventually see this they don't know us from adam you pointed out the different approaches that you and I take and in, in the approach that you talked about, they're actually polar opposites. They, they are polar opposites, but what is the particular recognition of division itself? What are, what are its roots? The enemy loves to sow seeds of despair and division. And I think, we, we we see that everywhere, do we not? And I, I I guess I have a question for you, Sean. When division occurs, whether you know whether it's in the workplace or whether it's with other believers or it's in the church, do you automatically go to oh this is the work of the enemy, or do you kind of rise up and start pushing it back against the individual yourself? Only in math class. Only in math class. I have no uh, idea what that means. Division. It's got to be of the devil. Oh. <laughs> I hate math. It's my, my weakest 
anyway. <clears throat> well, the enemy does multiply division. I would say that for me, I don't go there uh, very often, and I need to get there a lot faster because Scripture tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, and that wrestling is often started with division. I would tell you, I'm the, I'm the exact same way. I I tend to go to that second and not look beyond and say, wait a second, division. Now, I'm not saying that the enemy causes every division because we also have a sinful nature, but the root of the sinful nature does begin with the enemy. I mean, he's the one that that uh, prompted Adam and Eve to commit, com commit the first sin. But so there's always a spiritual root to it, but I tend to often immediately start wanting to push back against the individual that they are doing this to me and I've got to fix it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Same. So here. I would say the, the, the one thing that the very first thing that we wanted to leave the audience with is that when you see division anywhere, recognize its roots, mm -hmm. look past the individual division always has its roots in the enemy of the enemy that everything God has called good. And we need to recognize that because that will change how you respond. And then I think the second thing we talked about, Sean, was really learning to respond with truth and love. And what Sean was talking about, how we have seen even each other respond in these situations, um, we respond in a polar opposite way. And Sean, what, what, is, what is the way that I challenge you with that sometimes you respond? Oh, well... My responses are often very direct. It is truth, and it's cut and dried, baby. It's raw. Sometimes. I believe that. I believe that the term you used, the technical term, was harsh. <laughs> Can be harsh and abrasive. And he's not wrong. <laughs> but I also said, with me, what what do <clears throat> I tend to gravitate to? <clears throat> You tend to gravitate toward the light touch. The light touch. I like, I'm going to focus on the love. Now I don't always do that. My, my wife might tell you that sometimes my timing is bad. And that, uh, when I finally do to get to, I'm just going to give direct truth by then I've reached a point where I forgot where the love is. My, <laughs> I, I just have to brag. My wife never criticizes my timing. Uh, yes. Oops. I, <laughs> yeah, Shucks. I'm, not, not going to comment on that. Full disclosure. <laughs> and so I, I think, you know, Sean, as you and I continue to discuss this, we're like, well, truth and love is what we're commanded to do in scripture. But I don't think scripture says that, or I don't think the examples that we see in scripture points to that it's an equal balance of truth and equal out balance of love in every situation, that it really, really requires the wisdom of the Holy spirit to guide us in those situations. Would you agree with that? Oh, totally. As you astutely pointed out during our off camera conversation, the woman caught in adultery, you know, she, she was at the breaking point. She had, she knew her sin and she recognized that she, uh, that she was in sin, even though there's no dialogue actually saying that. Whereas on the flip side, Paul talks about in his, in his letters, how he's coming across very firmly, but that's not what he wants to do when he's in person. Totally agree. It, it, it was a great conversation before we actually uh, started recording today. 
So Sean, if I'm an audience member and I'm listening and I say, Sean, can you just recap for me? What are the two things you want me to do? How would you respond? Well, I think, uh, first of all, recognize that uh, if you're exposed to division, that it could be that it's a plot a strategy of the enemy. So recognize that there's something else going on here. Separate the person from the spirit that might be behind it. We're not talking about them being possessed, but you know, the uh, enemy of our souls likes to whisper. And the whisper is just the sound of a thought. And then the second thing is, you know, to, to think about how do I address this? Do I need to speak the truth? You always need to speak the truth in love, but sometimes it needs to be more firm. Which way do I go? Yeah, I think we clearly see that when Jesus dealt with the Pharisees or in the marketplace. Yes that um, he definitely gravitated towards more truth. Even actually, even with Peter, when Peter said, no, Lord, this will never happen to you after Jesus has said, you know, I'm going to be crucified. I have to leave. And he said, get me, get behind me, Satan. You have the things of man in your mind, not of God. And he, I mean, he was blunt and called, called it out. So I think sometimes we think that, that Jesus is all love. And I would say if we probably went back 40 or 50 years when I, I I think when it didn't seem like a, much of the mainstream church was was teaching on grace that we might see more of the truth part, but I think in actuality Jesus was a master led by the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, of knowing what and how to do you know, what situations required what response, and that response wasn't always touchy feely. Sometimes it was direct, you know, to uh, to to get to the point. Yes. Sean, as we wrapped up today's conversation, just uh, some final thoughts and in particular a question. Do you see division either increasing or decreasing in the future? Well, taking a look at scripture, we're going to see it increase. And it's really critical, as you've uh, pointed out on camera and off, that we, that we operate in unity. Scripture talks about all the stuff that's happening in the end times. And let's face it, folks, we're there. We are there. Darkness is going to get darker. Light is going to get lighter. And it is critical for people to know that we are Christians. Jesus said they will know we are Christians by our love for one another. So it's critical that we recognize the division between us and that we deal with it because we need to walk together because the times they are changing at hurricane speed. I think that is so well said. That, that's really all the time we have today. I thank you so much uh, for this conversation and thank you for your comments, Sean. And before we go, just a quick shout out and thank you again to our sponsor, Midwest Glass and Mirror. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Grid. Visit our website at kingdompatriot.us and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Tell your friends, family, and neighbors about this podcast production, The Grid. You can listen to us on pretty much any podcast player you have. Give us a five-star rating so we can broaden our reach. Watch us on YouTube, subscribe, and share us there as well. Your membership is appreciated. Your input is valued, and your voice is needed. I'm Chris Kuhlman. I'm Sean Griffin. And we are Kingdom Patriots.